You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's Industry Best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this Made in America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say Made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. You know, we all have that one special dog hanging out on the porch. He's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. All these things you like coming together to make one superb dog. That was exactly what we had in mind when we made this show. Welcome to All Mixed Up. Chad Reynolds. What's hey. up, brother? Just these dogs, man. <laughs> I know. I just brought mine in. I've been roading mine a bunch, getting them kind of rock hard for the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been fun. You know, it puts the miles on them. But, you know, they got on a rabbit today and they took it off into the dune country for like almost 800 yards. So I just parked my buggy and just let them do their thing. It took them a ways or it took them a while to get back to me, but they did. You know, I think it's important to let them go out into the dune country, lose the rabbit, because they're not going to catch it in that dune stuff, mm-hmm. figure out that they lost it, give up, and return, you know? And I, I I have the time, the space, to safely let dogs do that where I live. Mm-hmm. So it's still kind of weird to know that they're... Th- those A200s... I- I'm sorry, that, that Alpha 200 has changed everything in my life. Okay. I, for years, never ran those GPS collars. Dude, I can't even imagine my life without them now. Like you zip tie the antenna down. That's like for the side halves. That's the only thing that I've always thought. Cause it like gets whipping, you know, 
like crazy. I've been I've been taking a zip tie out and zip tying it to the collar around a little bit because they don't get out ten miles. You know, you need it tall and proud. Yeah, that's so true. The- Eight hundred yards was shockingly far in the yeah. dune country. Oh yeah, you that's, know? that's a long way. You know. Uh, no, now here's my question. It doesn't mess with that. It doesn't mess with that um, like range when you zip tie it down like that, tight it, to the collar. It will, but I mean, you're in the best environment yeah most range you know like they i think i forget what garden yeah. brags on i think it's like seven and a half or something it was like eight miles yeah, yeah. it was like well, eight it, miles for the tt mini which is it, what i'm running you know so that's that's under ideal <clears throat> so half it you're you, you would probably limit yourself by zip tying it down but it, it worst case scenario it cut you in half which is you know four mm. miles you know so you're you're still good yeah i mean like i said they're always close i'm in the buggy too so if worst mm-hmm. case i you know if someone got in trouble i could rip out there and find them through the dunes yeah. but the bonus is uh, it's crazy question mark too so you know where you lost them so if you just yeah all but over there you're good to go it's not like a beep beep i can literally track them on. in the sand yeah. too which is nice <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 you can <clears throat> so yeah and you know i i just think about that kind of stuff it's been great i need to you know, this is something that I think is needs to be said to you as far as, you know, like exercise physiology goes <clears throat> to my people out here that are, you know, big exercise junkies themselves. I used to be super duper hardcore into like weightlifting and stuff. Um, rest days are super important too. you know, so I started my pack up, I started running them, I'm putting about five miles a day on the road. And that's not just roading, that's them galloping out in the desert and hauling ass after things and whatever. Right. But I'm going to give them days off as well sprinkled into those days of exercise to ease them into that because i'm also hunting them too mm-hmm. so i think guys remember that it's important to let those dogs rest and and my dogs come in the home and they have a very very um set schedule i'm a creature of habit and i exercise them every day so it's kind of frustrating when you don't exercise them they get really stir crazy and run around and be annoying. why is this different why are we yeah doing what we do <laughs> yes exactly but i just let them simmer down put them outside and just let them calm down because I need them to rest. I'm going to take them out on Saturday and they need to let their soreness go away. I know they're a little stiffer than normal. So anyway, that's my spiel. I, uh, I love getting dogs in shape. It's all about that extreme performance. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, did toughen it up the pads, you know, getting them to step out a little more, limber up, you know, tear the muscles apart and let them build back up stronger. Yeah. We all geek out to it. I know. I, I, uh, I really take pride in keeping my dogs fit year round, but you know, obviously they're going to get way harder hunting, you know? So I just kind of wanted to get a little pep in their step like you said, limber them up a little bit, but they're looking good, man. I already got one up so far this season and I put the hammer down on him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't, they did. (laughs) Well, you're right there next to him though. So yeah, that was cool. That always is cool. But anyway, you've been up to a lot of cool stuff too, man. Tell me about, uh, tell me about your trials, brother. Tell everyone about what you've been up to. You have a more interesting life than me. I'm just a weird nerd. (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh, we, we both are, man. But the the drop trials was a blast. That was that was a lot of fun. It, it was my first time I went. Like I've done the entry level test, as it's called VJP, you know. And then I was getting ready for the HCP, and tragically, my dog got hit by um, by a vehicle last, you know, the last time. So I didn't actually get to do it, but I trained for it. And then this year, I did, you know, got another one and did the VJP and got ready for the the next test, the HCP. And we, uh, that's where they have the arm booster. So it's kind of like a Drawhar Super Bowl, 
you know, for that second test, that second breed test that they need to pass in order to, you know, be considered an actual draw tar. And, um, uh, you could either just do the regular HCP or you could do the arm bruiser. The arm bruiser is the exact same thing. It's just, they pull in all the best dogs from across the nation. And, and, uh, you have to, even to be allowed to go, you have to pre-qualify at like the first test and then, uh, have a confirmation pre-qualifier and then like your water entry pre-qualifier and all these, uh, send your, your, your dog has to have like an OFA, uh, um, x-ray done and it's even like yeah hips and shoulders um and uh and then they even had you can do the elbows too but you have to do the hips and shoulders and they get done and it's a little more strict than ofa and then they get sent off to germany they approve it all this stuff to even go you know like so on top of getting the (laughs) pre-qualifying test of the first one so just going is an honor and i i was i was super pumped to go you know having never even done the second test you know and uh uh got there and man we we trained so hard you know we got ready for it and you know a lot of these people have the clubs and and i didn't but i had a lot of guidance i had a guy i could talk to and ask a bunch of questions for so it's not like i went blind i definitely don't want to paint that picture but some of these people have like weekly clubs they meet at like three or four times a week and do these routines and just get them really good at it you know and a little chat out in the middle wow. of nowhere you know like and again i had <laughs> some expert opinions like go to john davis from red rock trout hearts like you know, he held my hand a lot of the way. And, um, but anyway, so we, we went there and I was feeling really good about it, you know, and, uh, we did great. We did really, really, really well. There was one issue, um, during the, the rabbit track, it's actually a drag at this stage. I think it's like 900 feet, um, with like some turns and everything in it. And uh, if going into it, I thought that like, that was the one thing I knew we'd be good at. You know, like I knew we'd be good at everything else, but I was like, I don't even have to worry about that. We, we, <laughs> that perfect every time. That's like our best thing. And that was the only thing he messed up on, man. And to the top levels, you know, like, you know, everybody in the top, to me, if I, I didn't get there, I didn't get to the top 10. I, I ended up placing 16th, but the top 10 to even get in there, the, the competition's so tight. It's like a half a point, half a point, half a point. And then like, if two dogs are the exact same on everything, and then one's a little younger, that one gets, you know, that one would go in place of the other huh. one. So, I mean, all, all the competition between the top 10 is like back to back. And super I don't know. Yeah, it's super close. And then I don't know how, how far up I was, but I was, I was kind of a contender for it. And then that rabbit track came down and knocked me out, man. It, it, oh. like I said, the, the, the competition's so tight. If you do one thing messed up, you're like, whomp, all the way out and back down. So like, uh, and, and I, you know, some people like to get up. So like, no, my dog would have done, but no, he, he got what he deserved, man. He just didn't show up that day for that, you know? And then they actually, yeah. just right afterwards, they do a duck track just to prove that your dog likes to track fur and likes to track feather as well. You know, they can wind and point and do all these other things, but they have to be able to track it as well. It's something super important to them. And it's just a little bit shorter instead of being a 900 at 600. And he hmm. flawless. Wow. Absolutely. Still. Flawless. So it's just the rabbit. Right. He, he got mixed up and fell off the track a yep. little bit and ultimately got there. He completed the thing. He just wasn't as fast as the other ones that day. Mm, so, I see. But aside see. from that, it was a blast getting to see all the, it was like, gosh, there's a lot of incredible handling. I bet. You know, and some of the, did you meet some cool people? Oh yeah. I met a, met a ton of great people and I actually hope to talk to them at some point, you know, kind of, yeah. You know? Yeah. Stay and, tuned. Uh, all mixed up. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you know, like uh, there, there's, there's some really, really neat people there. 
Um, and, uh, one of the, one of the coolest things that I got to see was like the, the, this duck search where they, there's a duck in the water and, uh, that you release the dog and, you know, I, you know, they can track well and you know, this can have a, but like, it's, it's another thing to actually see a dog track on the water. Like they'll, they literally, they will, they will come across the water right where the duck went and you'll hear them like, just, just huffing as hard as they can. And then the duck will come up there to that little reed and then it'll make a hard left turn and then go what? like 50 yards across the water. And if you, that I is rising. Right. Yeah, it's cool. I can say it right now and you're still not going to get the picture until you see it where the dog's literally making the turn. And I kind of was seeing it coming in training because <laughs> my dog loved the track. That's something I like to do. I like to work on tracking. So I hammered on it probably harder than some of the other things. And in the beginning when I was introducing the water track, he would actually fall off of it, you know, and then like circle around until he got back on the duck track. And when he would hit it, he would dunk his head underwater trying to, what? Trying to get closer to it. <laughs> He's here. He He's up. here. Yeah. Well, he, he was trying to like source it better, you know, and he would come up gagging and throwing up water <laughs> and go back on track. <laughs> but anyway, it was really neat. He, he, he went across the water and got the track it. And, you know, we saw the duck go into the bushes, so he didn't even get to see it. You know, so he just blind track, you know, went in there and then went in the bushes and was in there for like five minutes, just working around. You hear all these cattails snapping and busting. And then all of a sudden, whack, 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 and the duck came flying out, well, not flying, but flapping his wings out and came out of the cattails in a certain area, made a hard right turn, went down the cattails and went back in. And uh, just like 45 seconds later, here comes Griff out of the cattails, past the track, was like, Stir, turned back around, got back on it, went down the cattails, <laughs> past that turn turned back around, went in the bushes. And then like about 30 seconds later, it flew out again and went like, you know, flew maybe like, like 60 feet and then landed and then went into another set of bushes. And here he comes out of the cattails, tracking them across the water. It was so cool. It was, it was, I wish everyone could see Chad, Chad, you and I are very similar creatures. You're, you're pumped right now. I love it, dude. That's how I get (laughs) with a rabbit race. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) it's just so cool getting to see the wheels turn you know the evaluation process on a level playing field that's that's i geek out to all the different stuff but like right now this test system is kind of cool what were you gonna say yeah yeah oh no no i i i was i've been thinking about what you said you know in the last i you guys if you remember the steak and shake point blank there was a lot of there was a lot of gems in that episode there really was um but one thing that you said that I can't stop thinking about is as you're talking about your draw doing all this stuff, I cannot stop thinking about how if you had to train a Saluki to do this stuff. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's different. You were like, you can't train a sighthound to do anything he wasn't already going to do. And I was like, that is so good. I love that. Like, yeah, they talk about master trainer. I think for Salukis that you're a master facilitator. You know, like you could bring <laughs> out what they're going to do already. But I mean, you could stomp all over it and get in the way. So it's not, you know, just hands in the air. You could, you could mess it up. Of course. I mean, you're still training them, you know, 100%, you know, but they, it's like stuff that they do instinctively but if they weren't going to do it already you're not if you do it (laughs) it's not going to happen you know i was talking to my good friend and he was talking about how he once saw a jack run into a stock tank and swim and the greyhounds just went straight in and he said they swim fast he was like dude a jackrabbit can swim like a beast and i was like dang that's crazy and he said the greyhounds too he's like they'll outswim any dog he's like they run fast he's like they swim super fast too 
and uh i was blown away and josh michaelis uh host of the truth he talked about how the greyhound coonhound crosses in those water races destroy the competition and i was like yeah i can see that i mean i really can't think of a better canine athlete than a greyhound i mean they're just insane they're they really are they're they're incredible yeah i've never seen a uh you know like a desert hare do it like we have stuff back in the south called cane cutters or swamp rabbits we call them that that was like one of the go-to things they would jump in the water like then they lived around yeah, the water and they're that's... much larger than cottontails you know crazy um i've seen one yeah they're they're huge man they really yeah. are tiny ears I, you know big they even sound different their voice in distress because you hear it a lot with falconry is how i come in contact oh right so the, right the, right the raptor grabs a hold of a cottontail it sounds a certain way and then when it grabs a hold of the yep. cutters they they're, they have different vocal cords you know same as a jackrabbit it's different so yeah. where did the name cane cutter come from i i'm gonna go out on a limb don't quote me on this one you know but a lot of the places we would hunt them in the south had like cane switch like this little type kind of like a bamboo type you know and uh they they go zipping through it they have their trails that's the cool part they they're fast they're mm-hmm. stinking fast you know and they have a they make a wider loop a much wider loop than like a, a cottontail um so i can only assume i'm guessing don't hold it against me if i'm getting it wrong guys but uh you know just they're there's they're flying well, these little trails just a guess <laughs> yeah but yeah. that's that's what i have to say. <laughs> just running really fast through cane switch and you know stuff like that but yeah gotcha gotcha they're cool. Yeah. Okay. So then here's my second thing. Uh, when you were imitating the duck, I wasn't sure. What was that sound again? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. What, what, did I, what, did I, what did I do? I can't even recall. When the duck came out of the reeds, you were like, rick, 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 rick. and it just and it made me laugh. Yeah. Any, yeah anybody, no, that's how I tell <laughs> anybody that's a real storyteller, brother. <laughs> well, I just wish you could see the, so, the hand and arm signals, all the dancing. I, I feel like I'm just missing. Oh, no, I can see them. The folks, dance. they can hear it in you. I promise they can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of that steak and shake episode you guys i want to say this now we got some cool stuff coming down the pipeline in houndsman xp we you guys need to go to the houndsman xp red bubble you guys i'm just gonna say it right now the steak and shake cup that was posted on the facebook group you can get that on red bubble it's gonna be on water bottles mugs shirts whatever you want so if you want to go represent caution do not drink steak and shake cup it's there you guys and we're adding designs weekly to that red bubble page so go check it out you guys there's sight hound coursing logos coon hounds my favorite is the little coon driving the brain i love that man and i cup. need one in the jackrabbit <laughs> I, love the cup. I love the i love the cup the steak and shake cup it's i can't wait to get back <laughs> we're gonna have a sweet giveaway you guys there's houndsman xp we're always up to stuff you guys know chris he's always traveling and being crazy out there there's some sweet stuff coming down the Houndsman XP pipeline. You guys stay tuned. The whole crew is coming together and it is going to be awesome. Yeah. And we're going to do the Patreon drawing live when we're all together. And we got some sweet Houndsman XP merch from the Red Bubble page that we're going to be giving away live while we're all hanging out together. So you guys, there's going to be so much sweet content coming up. We're going to be hanging out with the fans, tons of fans coming. It's going to be sweet, you guys. I can't wait. So I, I just had to say that. This has been on my mind. I knew this would be a perfect time to tell everyone. So stay tuned, you guys. There's going to be some sweet HXP stuff coming down the pipeline. I also wanted to talk to you guys about the Patreon page quickly. We have partnered with uh, Sportsman's Alliance, you guys. 
the $12 patrons now, you can get a membership to Sportsman's Alliance and you get all the sweet joining benefits from Sportsman's Alliance, the knife set and the Houndsman XP merch that you get when you join. So it's a, it's a great way to give to Houndsman XP, but also you get so much back. I mean, I mean, I'm a biologist, not a math geek, but guys, I mean, you're getting back the drawings, sweet merch and gear. So uh, it's a way we say thanks for supporting the show, you guys. And Chad Reynolds right now rocking a brand new mic setup. Thank you, patrons. You guys, yeah. now Chad has a soothing baritone How's instead of a scratchy mic. How does it sound, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> I, dig, I dig it. I dig it. I dig so, it. I like it a lot. If, if you were like, if you were like, man, Chad Reynolds, he sounds so dreamy. Thank a patron. <laughs> Thank, Thank a patron. Thank you. Thank you. And that and that Sportsman's Alliance thing is the real deal. I don't want to get up on a pedestal for too long, but I've been a member for 10 years, long before I started getting involved here. And they're it, man. They're the they defend dog rights amazingly. I, I can't support them enough. They they're always fighting for here, for there. You know, and your money goes right to it. I mean, I like to support all my local dog clubs. Don't get me wrong. That's nice, you know. And then but you turn around and you, you see somebody, you know, they're taking a lot of the money that you, you put in there and it's for a scholarship or this or that, you know. But uh, it seems like every time you turn around, Sportsman's Alliance is like sinking their teeth into somebody trying to take our our, our dog sports away, you know. And it's just fantastic. So I, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll come off of it, but. Among all the cool shiny stuff you get, I mean, Sportsman's Alliance is 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 awesome for dog handlers, man. I agree, I agree, and that's the thing they're watching nationwide and always. You know what I mean? The stuff that they see and get ahead of legally, it, yeah. That what a great organization. So we're super pumped to partner with them. You know, Chris has been Chris works tirelessly for this podcast. And uh, he's been a beast. So we're very happy to uh, partner with a great organization like, like Sportsman's Alliance. So uh, I just want to throw that out there. You guys go to the website. All this information is there. You guys, our website is so sick. So I just wanted yeah. to, uh, I wanted to put that out there. Thank you, Lauren. You're a total beast. I appreciate that. So infomercial over guys. These are things I really want to tell you. Um, I like to tell these kinds of news on the, on the live drawings every month, but this is a good time to let everyone know, let everyone know what we're up to and uh, you know, just HXP happenings. So go to the website, you guys, all the information that I said is there www.houndswinxp.com. So let's roll in. We got some sweet segments this month. You have been a content animal. And so last month, yeah. I wanted to feature a lot of the stuff you've been gathering up. And you also did pretty dang good this month. And uh, you had a really long interview, you guys. But we are going to run the coolest part. Give us a 10,000-yard view on what's coming up, Chad. Don't spoil it. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the, um, let's see. The, the truck carrier talk with Sean O'Neill about these... Uh multi-purpose bred dogs you know american bred purpose bred dogs you know it's i love the versatile german dogs but i mean this is kind of cool homegrown you know um used for helping to produce uh coyotes uh for either decoying or flushing them for uh, foxhounds or scent hounds uh, sight hounds that is just an all-around like just ditch dog something you have next to you and just all the little mischief they get into uh he's got a pretty cool thing going and it's growing and there's a lot of other people interested in it. bruce swanson if you remember from our last show 
Um, not the last what one, but the other show. Yeah, the, the the mule hunter and this and that. He's got one, loves it. He comes in his house, sleeps in sleeps in the house, and does all kinds of stuff. You know, just a neat little multi-purpose dog. So, like, I, I don't give too much away, but it's it's pretty cool to hear what Sean's got going on. And also, you guys, patrons already know, but his talk with Sean was like two hours long, and we're not going to be able to run two hours on all mixed up. But go to the Patreon page, you guys. That talk is continued there. So uh, by the time you hear this, it's already posted part two. So there's three awesome segments on that episode, and two of them are on the Patreon page. So that's the kind of stuff we're posting out, you guys. Bonus content behind the scenes. Uh, Also, me and Chad love to video what we're up to. I got a sweet video set up. And so Chad also has badass video of his animals doing their thing. Mine too. People Mm -hmm. are always like, Seth, I want to see video of your dogs run. It's at the Patreon page, everyone. They're there. So, uh, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that too, you guys. There's the extended version of Chad's talk. And uh, for this month, my segment, I brought in, you guys, everyone knows I'm a dork. I love data and I love learning physiology, biology. I wanted to break down a new avenue in the Hounds and XP lexicon, if you will, of we had the episode of Scent and the Scenting Hound. Chris had a solo episode and I thought, well, I'm a sight guy. Why don't I break down the canine eye? And before you guys are like, Oh, boring textbook talk. I promise you it's super fun. I wanted to keep it like entertaining and educational. So it's chock full of experiments that you guys can do with yourself to put yourself in a dog's eyes. So uh, I was really excited to do that. Um, Some of my favorite things to talk about, is um the unique physiology of the animals that we are always around. I mean, it's just a, I guess, a quirk of a biologist, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah, well, that's um, really bring to the table for everybody, man. That 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 science side. That's I I I can't wait. I can't wait to hear it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I loved your talk with Sean, and man, it just had it just kept going. I was like, dang. So thank you for that, brother. Yeah. I say, uh, do you have anything you'd like to bring up special, brother? about anything this is all mixed up (laughs) um not much i like like i said the drop thing's going fine i'm tuning up the side hounds i got this little cocker uh, field bred cocker that i'm having a blast with i saw that i saw that you talked about it a while ago when we first started talking you said that little dude does somersaults and he smells a rabbit track (laughs) isn't great like i said the best hot nosed i've ever hunted with now like if it's a 10 minute old track they can do stuff with but uh uh, but to really see what they're really cool at is like a five minute old track or something like that. They'll run across it. I've seen them do a front handspring, land on their back, get up, orient, and then they're off on the track a hundred percent. It's almost like the Scooby-Doo episodes where the, the feet keep going and they turn directions and they just kind of peel out and take off. It, they're incredible, you know, and, and we've been turning her on and turning her on and we're doing some baggy stuff, uh, some uh, training pigeon stuff. And I put one down and it got up and immediately took off. I was like, all right, that one's out of town. And we're going to start with this dog and another young pup. And the the other young pup was doing pretty good. And then my little cocker kind of took off. I was like, all right, she'll do whatever she's going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this pup a little bit. And then the pup found what it was after. And we looked up and went to look for, uh, I named her Jolene, you know, after the uh, Dolly Parton song, you know, (laughs) Um, and there goes Jolene 200 yards away had found the pigeon. And was just hauling butt back to us. So she had tracked this, and she was only an eight-month-old dog. She had tracked this 
this pigeon all the way out there, found it, huh. caught it and brought it back, you know, and just total natural retrieve. They're, they're cool. They're cool. They, nice. they, my, my uh, question is when you call her, do you sound like Dolly Parton yelling out Jolene? Exactly. <laughs> Nail on the head. You can't tell us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure. And that's, that's a, that's a voice that we never want to have a mic around when you're doing <laughs> negative, negative. You know, I, I get, I do get a little high pitch, but I'm praising my dog. So I've been. Oh, of course. I sound know. like a little baby boy. Yeah, you know what I'm like? Exactly. Oh, such a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's roll right into it, you guys. Let's do this segment. This is about canine sight. I can't wait. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. Welcome in. So this segment of All Mixed Up is just going to be me. No guests this time. I really wanted to elaborate on an episode that Chris had done uh, a while ago. It was Basics of Scent and the Scenting Hound. And I really liked that episode. He just broke down how a dog uses its nose and the biology and physiology behind how they interpret the world through scent and some common misconceptions about dogs and their sense of smell. And obviously that's really important to any hunter. It doesn't matter what you're hunting with your dogs. Dogs interpret their world through scent. So it's critical that we understand how they use their nose. But my dogs and several other types of dogs that we hunt with commonly use sight. And although they are called sight hounds, I'm going to make this right off the bat. Sight is not the most important sense for them. It still is their sense of smell. So I'm just going to make this clear to you guys. This is not going to be some boring biology read. This isn't going to be just, you know, reading a book to you guys about how a dog's eyes work. I'm going to break this down. Physiology, biology is one of my great passions. And uh, I talked to a professor of mine just to kind of get refreshed on these things and I learned some cool things in my ethology class which is the study of animal cognition and behavior and some of those experiments on how canines use their eyes is really cool and it's going to help you put yourself in a dog's shoes so uh, let's get started you guys I'm really excited so before we get too far into this talk you guys I want to make some points clear here and kind of open up a whole new concept of thinking about other animals. Dogs use their sense of smell to interpret the world. Everything dogs do, they revolve around scent. They tell time, they know who's who, who's been where, what's going on in the world around them, where is food, where is mates, where is a safe place to call home. They do that all by their sense of smell. And humans do not. Humans primarily use vision to interpret the world around them. We gather cues from our world based on vision and then augment that with other senses. Dogs use their sense of smell to gather primary information and then augment those with hearing and sight in those orders, depending on the task. So it's really important when you're thinking about dogs that they interpret this world wildly different than we do. So I'm going to give a little thought experiment here. This one stuck with me for a long time, and it really helps you to think about animals in a different context. So in the mid-2000s, some scuba divers were swimming, and they saw a humpback whale that had been caught in fishing gear. And so they took them an hour or more to cut this whale free from the fishing gear, and instead of just immediately swimming away, the whale 
swam up to them and touched them with its pectoral fins before it swam away and like apparently looked them in the eyes and all this stuff. Now, you guys know I'm real hesitant to anthropomorphize animals and exper- thought experiments like this are one of the reasons why. But those guys said that the whale was quote unquote thanking them and had a cherished moment with them. And, you know, we know that whales are social animals and maybe it did. I don't know. I'm not a whale. But let's put it into a different perspective. What if you're out and you see a grizzly bear caught in a barbed wire fence and you walk up and you take out your bolt cutters and you cut that bear free from the fence and the first thing he does after you cut him free is he turns around and he tears you apart and eats you. Does that make a bear a bad animal? Does that make him evil? Does that make him ungrateful or unthankful for your good service? And I'm going to say, no, it's doing what bears do, which is eat flesh. And whales do what whales do. And so I think it's important to always remember to not contextualize animal behaviors based on how humans perceive the world. Animals don't have morality. Grizzly bears certainly don't have morality. Whales probably don't have morality. I don't know. I don't spend any time thinking or researching about whales. But I will say that it's be a careful, slippery slope to put human views on animals, even if it's as mundane as how a dog sees. It's really important to remember that the senses that animals evolved with suits their needs for their world and their modes of survival. We all have the same goal in life, live, be safe, eat, and reproduce. And every species took a wildly different way of getting that goal. And dogs did too. So it's important to know that, you know, when you're thinking about animals, that we will actually appreciate and revel in their differences. Even if that bear comes out of the fence and kills you, we can still appreciate that what made a bear get to that point is an interesting and long story and the limitations that dogs have they make up for in other ways that obviously is super beneficial for us because they make awesome hunting partners i don't really know of any humans that are running down jackrabbits humans that are scent trailing a bear you know what not even humans any primate for that matter so these strengths really give us you know an appreciation for their differences so I'm also going to start breaking down the mammal eye and you're going to learn a lot of fun things about biology in that, you know, as a mammal, the most diverse group of vertebrates ever, you're going to have these amazing differences, but yet at the same time, these really amazing similarities because, you know, we're all mammals. So let's get going straight into the eye physiology. I think this is what's really cool. You know, now that you guys know that dogs don't primarily use their vision, well, how do they use their vision? And it's going to come down to primarily, you know, what a dog's vision is used for. If it's not primarily used to interpret all things around them in the world, how do they use it? And before we get there, I'm going to just take a moment here to explain your eye. So mammal eyes are all pretty much the same. It's how they are oriented and how they are shaped that really affects how animals use them and what their structures for. And a great way to imagine the eye is like a camera where you have your pupil that lets light in and then you have a lens that focuses the light 
and then it goes into various photoreceptors in the eyeball nerves that take it up to the brain and and process the image and as with anything in nature you guys not just vision literally every part of physiology there's great compromises that need to be made to achieve your goal and so there's no such thing as perfect in any regard there's only perfect for one thing and so animals have to make compromises in all aspects the eye is no different if you need to live like a dog you have to have all of your physiologic functions of the eye to make you awesome at low light hunting the ancestors of dogs and the way dogs still are used today think our coon hounds or our early morning hunting dogs low light vision is key so the dog's eye has made tons of physiologic changes to make them better at low light vision versus a human eye that's made to be very clear uh, excellent color vision all sacrificing light sensitivity humans have terrible night vision and that's no surprise to any of us but we have made great sacrifices in our light gathering ability so that we have very clear vision and obviously we can see color and we'll get to it but dogs can too just far less colors than humans can so what makes dogs awesome low light hunters compared to humans let's break it down so we're going to start with the structure of their eye the pupil of a dog is a lot larger than a human's if you look at a dog's eye you'll notice that that black part that's their pupil takes up a huge part of their eye and so if you're using a camera let's go back to the camera analogy here if you're using a camera and you have a large aperture then you're going to have awesome light gathering ability but you're going to have less focusing ability so you're going to be able to focus on an item and other things are going to be blurry but if you drop down that aperture you're able to have better depth of field but you're going to sacrifice you need more lighting basically and so humans have small pupils and that allows us to have better depth of field and clarity but we obviously sacrifice that ability to get more light and dogs can open their pupils humongous so that they can let in a lot of light to give that eye better ability to gather physical light from the atmosphere and they can obviously use that and many other adaptations to see in the night better and so another thing is everyone shined eyes everyone has shined light inside an eye of an animal and you see that glow that thing is called a tapetum lucidum and it's a small reflective organ in the back of dogs deer all kinds of vertebrates to have better light gathering capability what happens is, is light enters the eye and then it hits the tapetum lucidum and is reflected back across the eye again for a second chance of being absorbed by the lens. So humans do not have that. And we lost it because we primarily operate in the daytime and have for a long time. But here's what's crazy, you guys. When that light actually goes across the tapetum lucidum and comes back over the lens again for a second pass, there's an interesting photoelectric effect that happens that actually makes the color have a weird fluorescence to it. And that shift in light corresponds perfectly to this rod cells in the eye to gather even more light. So those rod cells, which I'm going to get to in a minute, actually perceive the light better as they come across the tapetum lucidum for the second pass. 
So it enhances their night vision even more. And so I've heard this before from folks, and it is true. Some dogs that have blue eyes don't have an eye shine. And that is because they don't have a tapetum lucidum. And that's through selective breeding. So dogs like Huskies or other bright blue-eyed dogs actually have worse night vision than their brown-eyed counterparts. So pretty crazy to think. you know. And I guess if you're a sled dog in Alaska and it's snowing all the time, maybe the reflectance of light off the snow wouldn't be that much of a hamper to their existence. But this is most likely a cause of human selective breeding that's had unintended consequences. So that eye shine is caused by a really unique um, structure in the eye that most mammals have, but others do not. Javelina do not have one either, interestingly enough. I just know that because, uh, well, they have terrible vision. (laughs) Much worse than a dog, and I've just seen them in the headlights and never saw an eye shine. I'm not sure if feral pigs do. That's uh, something I'd have to look into, but we're getting off into the weeds. We'll get back into dog's eyes here. So, okay, you guys. This is the most important part of this talk to me, and this is something I really wanted to talk about. When you have, you have cells in the eye, and we're just going to keep this very simple. We're going to have a 10,000 foot view here just to keep it interesting and not get too, you know, drilling down deep. You have rod cells and you have cone cells, and these are really important because these two cells are the photorecepting cells in the eye, and either or has an incredibly different task in the eye. And how they are situated massively impacts how the eye is used by the user. So, let's break it down. Rod cells. As you can imagine, they're rod-shaped, long and skinny. Rod cells are awesome at collecting light. That is what they are very good at. So, you can imagine that dogs probably have a lot of rod cells. Cone cells are excellent for color vision and acuity. Cone cells allow you to see very crystal clear and they allow you to see color. There are four kinds of cone cells. Mammals only have three. So creatures that have lots of cone cells in their eyes, like primates and birds, although they're not mammals, have this three kinds of rod cells to interpret different color spectrums. So when you look at a rainbow, Humans can see Roy G. Biv, the the red, orange, violet, green, indico, you know, whatever. Dogs only have two kinds of rod cells in their eyes. And so we'll get to dog color vision in a minute. But dogs literally are colorblind on one spectrum of light. Humans are colorblind on another spectrum of light that birds can see. Birds are actually four chrome. They have four kinds of rod cells in the eye. So when you look at a blackbird... A blackbird, if you look carefully in the sun, you can see that iridescence on their feathers. A bird will see a blackbird wildly different than a mammal sees a blackbird, which I think is pretty cool too. Talk about uh, perception shifts, right? So dogs have much more rod cells in the eye and much less cone cells in the eye. Again, rod cells are awesome for detecting movement and gathering light. Obviously, you're starting to put this into your head. Ah, this makes sense. Cones, not so important. Acuity, color vision, meh, not that important to a dog. Dogs don't look at the flowers. No, dogs are looking for fast-moving, small animals in dim light. And so rod cells are king. 
So now that you know the difference between rod and cone cells, which is super important, next, we need to realize the orientation of those cells in the eye. And this is where it gets super interesting to me. And I'm gonna give you guys some fun little experiments to put yourself in a dog's shoes. So here we go. Okay, now I want you to look at the wall. I know this sounds crazy, but just look right at it. You're gonna notice dead center in your eyes, right where you're looking, it's crystal clear. And if my friends that are listening to this have glasses on, wear them, because you need to have the clearest vision possible for this. Now, that dead center of your eye where it's really clear is called your fovea, F-O-V-E-A. The fovea is the center of the eye where the most cells are concentrated. And that is gonna give the most important part of the vision of any animal and what's going on in the fovea is gonna give you a lot of clues about how animals use their vision to exist. In the human fovea, it is extremely densely packed with cones. And remember, cones are about color vision and acuity. So where you're looking should be really clear and very vibrant. But now a dog's fovea is rich in rod cells and not very many cones, enough cones, but much more rod cells. So what does that tell you about a dog's eye? Dogs in the center of their eye are more focused about gathering light and detecting movement than having crystal clear vision. And you're like, well, how bad is a dog's vision? If they're losing acuity, what does it look like to look through a dog's eyes? I'm gonna give you a really fun thought experiment here, and it's gonna give you a better idea of how dogs look and how they see go grab a book any book and lay it down flat on the table in front of you now i want you to take your finger and put it dead center on a page right in front of some type now you're going to notice that when you're looking at your finger the edges of the type on the edges of the page about an inch away from your finger start to get kind of blurry and weird you can still kind of make out what they say, but keep your eyes focused on that finger. And you're thinking, well, duh, Seth, I'm looking at my finger and that's why it's clear. But when you look at a human's eye, the fovea is rich in cones for that acuity. And the edges of our eyes are rich in rods compared to the fovea. So when you're seeing out of your peripheral vision is what dogs are going to see in their fovea, dead center in their eye, that kind of weird, hazy, not fully in view, but definitely not blurry. And that's something I want you to understand is that their vision isn't blurry in the sense of like crossing your eyes and having weird blurry vision. It's just lacking acuity. So it's kind of hazy, like if you were looking through cellophane. And that is more like what their vision is like. And this is really cool to me. I love this kind of stuff. But Think about this. You ever been out at night and you're just walking around and you notice that if you look off to the side at something in the dark, you can actually see it better. It's brighter if you look off to the side and look at it through your peripheral vision right off to the edge of your eye. And that is because your rod cells and your peripheral vision, primates, you're going to see better because those rods are detecting that light better. And it's really trippy. If you haven't experienced that, go out and check that out. Go into a low light dim setting and just kind of cock your eye off slightly to the left or right. You're going to see it better. And if you notice that that section of your eye that's allowing you to see better in low light vision 
is actually the same part of your eye that's kind of where the blurriness begins on your finger on the paper experiment because you're going to have some clarity around your finger right when you're looking at it because your cones are still it's still part of your fovea where your cones are rich but right when it starts to get blurry that is the part of your eye that you're going to turn away and look at with your peripheral vision at night how cool is that and so that part of your eye that's collecting the rods excuse me that's collecting the light using your rods is going to be much more concentrated dead center in the eye of a dog so that peripheral brightness you're seeing is a teensy tiny fraction of the light that a dog needs to see clearly in these dark conditions. To put it into perspective, a dog needs about a quarter the amount of ambient light to see the same as a human would. And a cat, which is like the king of night vision, who sacrifices even more acuity for better night vision, has, needs one-seventh of the amount of light to see clearly. So these are just pretty cool ways that you can kind of get into the eyes of a dog. And I love this kind of stuff. So let's put this into another, let's do another thought and physiology experiment that can help you put your eyes in dog world. Okay, so dogs are awesome at detecting movement and they sacrifice some of that acuity for that. Here's how you can kind of see that for yourself. All my sighthound hunters, they know this is so frustrating you're hunting, you're, even if you're hunting out of a vehicle, whatever, even if you're on foot, you're walking along, you're walking along, boom, out of the, directly in front of you, there's a jackrabbit laying under a bush. It is holding like a rock and you can see it. It is clear as day sitting right there, 50 yards, 25 yards in front of you, whatever. And you tell your dogs, get up, look for him, look for him. And those dogs start looking, looking, looking. They are looking right at that jackrabbit and they cannot see him. Why? Go back to the page, put your finger on that page, look at your finger, and notice on the edges of your vision how blurry it is, how you really struggle to make out the differences in those letters. To your dog, that jackrabbit is a rock. He doesn't have the acuity to see the rabbit. And through the experiences of your dog's life, the jackrabbit is running when he sees him. So he is looking for running game. He is using his dog eye, his dog brain, to perceive how dogs perceive the world, which is movement. But check this out, and we all know this. The second that rabbit moves, even if he moves a whisker or a nose, your dog is locked onto him, and off they go, and the race is on. So how come he couldn't see him there? We all know that that acuity is suffering. But check this out. Here we go. Rods, awesome at detecting light. And because they're awesome at detecting light, they're really good at detecting movement. Take your fingers, stand up straight and tall, and hold your two fingers out in front of you, looking directly at them, at arm's length. Now, take looking dead ahead where your fingers were, move your fingers off to the side, right or left, of your head until they leave your peripheral vision. Okay, now that they've stopped, you can't see them anymore. They're outside of your peripheral vision. Now wiggle them. You'll be able to see them again. And that's because your rods are detecting that movement. It's freaking crazy, isn't it? So you can't see your fingers. They're gone until you start to wiggle and then they reappear. Same thing with your dog. Remember the center of their eye is focused on that movement. And so they can't, they physically cannot see that rabbit. And even if they could see the rabbit, they're not going to have the clarity to interpret it as a rabbit because their camo is amazing. One way dogs can detect 
something that isn't moving as something they like is if they're a little closer to it where their acuity can take over or they've built up a search image over the course of their life what this thing looks like when it's not moving or it has a wildly different shape than objects around it that make it stand out like a ball on a grass and there's a lot more to that but that's the gist of it so they can see movement incredibly well and what's even crazier is that the physiology of a dog's eye actually changes among the breeds so there's been studies of sight done on beagles greyhounds extensively and rottweilers as well so it's shown that greyhounds and other sight hounds presumably because greyhounds have more densely concentrated rods in their visual streak, the dead center of their eye, which allows them to be clearer at longer range and see movement farther than normal dogs, which makes perfect sense because we've bred them to look for that jackrabbit darting through the grass at 75 yards and give chase. But beagles seem to have much more near vision than greyhounds, so they're actually clearer up close than greyhounds are. So greyhounds actually may be a little harder to see at close range more blurry than a beagle and it's just because the way their eyes have shaped and possibly through the selection of how beagles hunt it's more important for beagles to have clearer vision up close than it is for them to see a running jackrabbit at 100 yards so these cool things that we've selected for form following function their bodies have changed but so have their eyes it seems and interestingly enough just like in people you know if your mom has bad vision your dad has bad vision you may have bad vision too. Well, it seems that bad eyesight actually can run in some breeds and in some lines within breeds, which seems to be a no-brainer, but it's worth mentioning. So you can get dogs' eyes checked with modern veterinary care. It may be something you may want to check out, especially if you're running sighthounds. So uh, good eye is a trait that sighthound breeders are always looking for. Can he spot that coyote running way out there? Can he get that rabbit up and take him? You know, these are important things, and you could be breeding for better vision, too. So I want to get back to it, you guys. That finger experiment is something I really, really think is cool. And I think that there's a few other topics I wanted to touch on and not make this segment too long. I wanted to keep it fun and light. Get it? That's an eye joke. Okay. <laughs> a really bad one, clearly. So one huge point of confusion, if you will, with dog vision and a huge misconception about how they see dogs actually do see color you guys so we know this because dogs have rod cells in their eyes and they have cone cells in their eyes and we use cone cells to see light so if they have cone cells they must be able to see light and as i mentioned earlier humans have three different kinds of cone cells that are receptive to three different wavelengths of light so when you look at a rainbow humans see roy g biv the abbreviations of all the colors, red, orange, violet, indigo, all that, green, whatever. When dogs look at the rainbow, dogs only see various shades of blue and yellow. And they only have two kinds of cones in their eyes. So dogs have been trained in laboratory settings to detect colors, blue and yellow. And that's how we know they can see those backed up with the style of cones that they have in their eyes. But... It's also kind of weird and fun to think about that it's actually really hard to train the dogs to differentiate colors. Dogs just don't care about color that much. It's just something that's kind of irrelevant to them. 
And so I really like that kind of stuff when you think about, you know, how they interpret the world. They just don't care. Color isn't that important to what dogs need to do to survive. Let's think back again on the topics that we've already covered. Movement, super important. Is this sky blue? Is this little fruit slightly reddish? Or is it still kind of a light green color because it's not ripe? Eh, dog doesn't care. He just smells it. Oh, it smells like it's ripe. I can smell the sugars in there. Nomp, he eats it. A human doesn't do that. We look using our color vision and we detect if the fruit is ripe based on its color. So different modes, different ways to get to the same task. And I just think that's really cool how these things that we take for granted, color, are just pretty much irrelevant to a dog. So they do see various shades of yellow and they can kind of variate between yellowish hues and blue. They can't really see green which again, irrelevant to a dog, but they do see those colors. So if you want to make something that a dog can see, like a bumper toy, orange isn't really a good color for a dog. Humans can see orange really well. Our cones are super sensitive to blaze orange, which is why you can see it so far away. And those retriever dummies are orange so that you can find it if the dog can't. But a best thing to make it visible for a dog would be blue, because dogs can see blue. So uh, yeah. Just some cool thoughts there. They And those cone cells in a dog's eye are in the center of the eye, but not densely packed like their rod cells. And along that visual streak, which is that horizontal bar across the eye that we all have, they do have cones in there. So they have obviously have to have some cones for their acuity, and they do have some color vision, but it's just not as rich or as vibrant or as focused as humans' color vision. So there you go. There you go. Dogs do see color. Uh, just not as good as us, but again, totally irrelevant. So this is running into 30 minutes, you guys. There's a lot more to cover, but I just kind of wanted to focus on that cool stuff that allows you to kind of think about how dogs see. And I think it's just most important to remember that vision for dogs is just kind of to not bump into things and to give them a quick glance at the world to guide their nose in a way that, you know, doesn't have them crashing into stuff. So It's all about that nose, folks, but I hope you guys enjoyed learning about dog eyes. I could keep going on and on and on, but I do want to keep this relatively fun and short. So I look forward to seeing you guys soon, and uh, we'll get right into the next segments of All Mixed Up. Thanks, you guys, and uh, I'll see you around. How many times do you hound doggers catch yourself thinking about an awesome hunt you had or retelling this great story with family and friends around the dinner table and all you have to remember that moment? is some terrible cell phone picture, or worse, no picture at all. Well, Houndsman XP has partnered with Rough Cut Company to help solve your problem and make beautiful pieces of art to remember for all time your experiences in the field. Rough Cut Company is an American-owned and American-made business in Wisconsin that specializes in custom, unique photo engravings on hardwood that are framed to any picture you want. They also do customizable antler dog chews and even beautiful, unique antler rings from their own red deer in Wisconsin. Rough Cut Company can do pretty much anything you ask. Their customer service is second to none. Give them a look at roughcutcompany.com and when you check out, make sure you check out with HXP 10% off 
to get a discount on your final purchase. Check them out, you guys, and support people that support Houndsman and help keep us in the field and remembering those times forever. Yeah, that's cool. That's some cool stuff, man. You know, that's some really cool stuff. I'm going to share that with a lot of people. I hope you can't wait. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I uh, I really had a good time making it. I was surprised. It took a lot less takes than I thought. I thought I was going to have to be, you know, constantly having new takes, but I kind of just put the mic on me and just let me go. So that was a, uh, that was pretty fun. I had a great time and I, I hope you guys did enjoy that. I, uh, I had to call up one of my old ethology professors and kind of sit down and talk to him. So thanks, Gary. Ethology? Um, ethology? What is ethology? Yeah, well. It was explained back there. You don't remember, but it's the study of canine or it's the study of animal behavior. Animal behavior. So, and intelligence, basically. Gotcha. Behavioral intelligence and sociability and stuff. So, anyway, that's a, it's a really cool topic. It's kind of like, um, kind of like a hybrid of animal sociology, I guess, and then like intelligence and behavior. So, anyway, but yeah, it's a really cool topic. It's something I really like. And, uh, I just like the, um, well, I, I always think kind of in metaphors and I always think kind of in um, more cinematic terms, I suppose. But uh, <clears throat> I really like the analogies that he taught us in class, especially about the one where like <clears throat> the whale touching those scuba divers and they were like, oh, he was thanking us. And he's like, what if a bear is trapped and you and you let the bear out and it just murders all of you? Does that make him like evil? Like, is he ungrateful and unthankful? No, he's just a bear. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what bears do. So stop thinking like a human and just think like a bear. Like, I don't know. I, I like that. And that's that. That's a great way to uncouple that kind of like fake reality that humans do when they anthropomorphize animals. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. as a biologist, you really have to kind of like become neutral and uncouple that like human morality, human ethos when you think of animals because they're they have their own morality. They have their own existence and it's unfathomable to us because they're dogs <laughs> right so anyway well without further ado brother if you've already given us a great intro for it so um if i may i say let's just roll into those truck terriers yep a little busybody truck terriers all right everybody got chad reynolds here and uh i'm with sean o'neill mr truck terrier and uh we got a lot of stuff we're gonna get into today uh sean how you doing today man I'm doing fantastic, Chad. How are you? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good myself. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to hear about it. Um, so, you know, the folks know me fairly well, um, but let's uh, let's tell them who you are a little bit, Sean. Um, kind of, what's your background in dogs exactly? Oh, uh, I started I started on the East Coast, and I got involved with uh, digging terriers. And, uh, the, I started, uh, digging with Jack Russell's and Patterdale's. And then I moved on to my own line of terriers, uh, that were called den terriers. Oh, that's right. I've Uh, heard about those. Yeah. Right. Little eight pound dogs that could fit anywhere, go anywhere and, uh, use for hunting woodchucks, fox, raccoons, possums in the ground. And then, uh, the natural progression is that, you know, because the gun laws were so strict back East, you couldn't carry a a gun while doing this. Uh, We went into sighthounds with the particular uh, lurchers that come from uh, that term comes from England. 
and they're crossed up sight hounds. Uh, basically, the original cross was a collie type cross and uh, greyhound, and we used them to uh, catch and dispatch game. That, that the good. terriers, yeah, that the terriers bolted out. Yeah, those terriers are really small. Like you said, eight pounds. I don't want to let that get too far away from us. You know, like you can almost stuff those dogs in like a Pringles can, like a tube or something, right? I mean, that's tiny. Uh, uh, we used to carry them in our jackets all the time. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they they didn't know they were eight pounds, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. All right. Okay, so so digging terriers and, and running lurchers, mm-hmm. you know, for, for catching, bolting uh, bird yep. game. Bolton game, and then uh, I did that and um, hunted all over the United States and then moved into uh, foxhounds for coyotes. And uh, when we started hunting coyotes, uh, you know, that, again, progressed into staghounds, sighthounds for uh, uh, the catch and kill coyotes. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And and then uh, I did that for a while and hunted all over the United States. And then I got tired of the East Coast and uh, moved west uh, back in 2010. Okay. And I've been out here ever since uh, running coyotes. That's my main quarry. Yeah, it's a it's party. <laughs> I gave it a shot for a little <laughs> while, had some success, and then had to move back to an area that's not doesn't quite support it, but I had a little bit of fun with it while I was in an area that supported it. Um, yeah. Well, well, all right. Uh, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a hell of a background, you know, terriers, lurchers, uh, sight hounds, you know, and then onto the, the big, the big stag hounds, you know, is uh, what you're with now. And, yeah. And then of course your, your, your truck terriers, the, the whole point, the whole point of the, one of the, one of the main things I'm wanting to ask you about is your, your project there. So, um yeah i guess was before we move on i'm kind of excited to get going on it but was there was there anything else that's the the meat and potatoes of where you came from well i also i also hunted a line of big game curs back east where i walk hunted bears and uh i really loved that that was yeah i did that with those uh big game striker dogs uh from there from the fry you know particularly daryl fry okay i had i had his dogs and uh also, some mountain curs from uh, Tim Cope uh, okay. and offsprings of those that did very well in, uh, with the bear hunting back there. Okay. And then the, the first, uh, the, you know, uh, were like blackmouth curs or, uh, you know, is that? No, a... big, big game Kemmers, Kemmer curs. Oh, okay. Yep, uh, yep, yep. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are and they're, But they were, uh, they're called, uh, you know, they're particularly very specifically bred for big game mm-hmm. you know the, the ones uh daryl had a lot of lion dogs lion you know lion dogs but people also used his dogs for bear hunting and stuff and uh so i had i bought a couple back west and had them shipped east and used them uh for walk hunting uh walk hunting for bears and it was that was like really some of the most fun i ever had yeah. Everybody here in Shoringer is a tree dog, that's for sure. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what it's like to walk hunt for bears, right? Oh, that's the yeah, that's, yeah. that's the best. <laughs> that's the best, you know, like uh, yeah. uh 
getting to getting to see the whole puzzle come together and you know working out the kinks you get to be there and help work them up the drainages and yeah i i i thoroughly enjoy you know hunting from boots you know yep. um, but all right so without getting too far away i'm excited let's, let's talk about these truck terriers man um okay. what uh what what prompted you to even you know to to get into it and i guess everything else like what they are and how they're used and all that i guess we'll we'll follow that those pieces all fall into place okay. let's start with what started you down there okay when i moved west chad and i really started heavily hunting coyotes uh out here um from truck and horseback uh um there was guys uh, that I'd known from the Midwest, uh, Illinois, Iowa, uh, Indiana, that ran coyotes with hounds. And they always kept the terrier in the front of their truck, and they just called them truck terriers. And uh, they were just a bigger type, bigger type terrier, the bigger end of Patterdales, you know, the 20, 25 pound. And they used them, um, you know, if a coyote went to culvert or something like that and yeah uh, they weren't i i don't i don't i didn't really see them as being very effective because you know anybody who's run coyotes you know with a, a set which is three dogs of stag hounds that you know weigh anywhere from 75 to 95 pounds you know sometimes uh, you know you get a coyote that you know will uh, manhandle some of your stag hounds and yeah. uh you know what's what's a 25 pound terrier going to do to a 35 pound coyote mm -hmm. so i wanted to breed a 35 pound dog that kind of sat in the truck and i started going the cold uh uh bulldog route where i tried to water down bulldogs using patterdale blood lakeland blood jag blood mm -hmm. and get them into uh to basically, you know, I, I didn't want to hunt a, a, a game dog, American yeah. Pitbull Terrier. Uh, so I wanted uh, some of those dogs that were watered down there a little bit easier to live with. I started going, I started doing that route because, you know, we were putting a lot of dogs, a lot of, excuse me, a lot of coyotes in the ground. We chase them with the stags and they go to ground in a rock pile, a culvert, and, uh, and or you know in a in a even a dirt hole which you know my whole background was digging terriers which i really like to dig a coyote with a terrier is for a terrier guy is really top you know besides a badger is really top notch you know yeah and uh i started going that route and i had had uh i had bought some of those big game kemmers with me from the that I'd gotten out out here in the west I brought them uh east from the east out here with me because I was going to continue to go bear hunting out here and um I'd had a litter and given a dog to uh a friend of mine a cowboy that lived on a ranch and he also had uh a pitter pat from my truck terrier uh breeding program and he called me up one day and he goes, Sean, that, you know, this, this, this cur dog bred this, you know, your terrier. And she had nine puppies. And I said, that's impossible. 
you know, she was an 18 pound female. He was 65 pounds. Yeah. And uh, I went out there and looked at the litter and, and I was like, I, I, you know, they had, you know, some brindle markings and I said, you know, they didn't look like a border collie. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so uh, um, he ended up getting one of those puppies to another friend of mine uh, down in Utah. And this guy is uh, a really underrated hell of a hand with dogs. And uh, his dad is a, a big time dry ground uh, lion hunter. So he has that in his background and, this guy took the dog and, you know, called me up about nine months later and said, Hey, Sean, I want to come up and go coyote hunting with you. And I said, yeah, sure. Come on up to the house. And he, the dog's name was champ and he bought champ up and he took champ out of the truck. And I looked at him and I was like, like I'd been hit over the head with a hammer, like a big sledgehammer. I was like a light bulb went off an explosion, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, I was like, that's way better than what I'm doing. Okay. Because the dogs that I, the dogs that I had, Chad, were really basically point and shoot type dogs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, they didn't, I mean, they had some hunt to them and they had a little bit of nose, but nothing like this. Right. And he had a, you know, an extreme handle on this dog and everything. And, he was pretty gritty too. And, uh, um, I said, that's the way to go. And I had another friend there that I consider a a really good dog guy. And he said, uh, he goes, that's the direction you want to go. And what was the makeup of this dog again? This, this, it was the the female was a, a mixture, you know, second gen, third gen generation of, uh, Patterdale Pitbull. Yeah. Uh some some really nice dogs behind her, you know, some really, you know, some game dogs and uh really good game dogs that were tested out and and Patterdales that were tested out, but they were just the, the bigger the bigger size. Mm-hmm. And then uh and then the cur dog was uh um off of uh Daryl Fry's uh striker right. line. Okay, I yeah. just wanted to make sure I got that right and Yeah. And and what what about how old was this dog when you saw it? I saw it at about nine months old. Okay, it's still it's still alive today. Um, um it's a it's a really 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 nice dog. Um, um, you know he, he's a little bit grouchy here and there, but you know all those good dogs are. And uh, <laughs> he uh, um, he even put a nice litter of uh, you know put several nice litters on the ground and. I, uh, at that time I had procured a Jag Terrier, uh, of unknown breeding from a guy that bought the dog from a cat hunter in Oregon that he used this dog to, uh, bust bobcats out of brush, uh, that, you know, that thick coastal Oregon brush. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he had bought the dog home and uh didn't really think it out and uh left the dog with his wife the dog got out of the backyard and went on a rampage um <laughs> how many chickens uh, died <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was more it was more uh uh 
neighborhood cats and uh and an old couple oh, and boy. uh yeah they they kind of waited in to stop this dog from uh hurting their cat and you know either the cat or the dog scratched or bit them and he ended up going to court and they gave the dog a uh you know get out of town or we're gonna put it to sleep in 24 hours and oh, uh yep. so he called me up and i got the dog and she was like uh the best dog you could breed her to a a poodle and she would throw hunting dogs <laughs> so yeah oh, good and and then the next step was I took that champ dog and bred it to her. Her name was Mickey, and I bred her to Mickey, and that's what really started it off. We started getting a, a lot of nice dogs then, a lot of nice dogs. All right, so that's 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 why you know you kind of the the, the mm-hmm. niche you were trying to fill, you know, um, just a, a, a you know a small terrier. Uh, well, not a small terrier, but like a large terrier actually. They ride up in the in the front of the truck, you know, and, right. and and bail out of the side, you know, when the time was right and, and flush from culvert or tall grass or uh, uh, work hot tracks, right? Yeah, yep. Um, well, that litter, that litter from Champ and Mickey, uh, those pups were very fortunate and went into some good hands. And uh, the pups from that litter were uh, – uh trailing hogs on the Arizona strip, which is not easy. No, it's not tree and bear <laughs> tree and bears, tree and lions, uh um, um you know, some some were even uh you know hog dogs. Uh, uh some of them decoyed uh uh decoyed uh coyotes and nice. uh and uh some of them uh you know I have one and she's a great horseback dog or, you know, sits in the truck. And if a coyote goes into a tight spot where those big running dogs can't get to, or mm-hmm. the specials or, you know, my, I have a line of dogs called specials that specials can't get to. Mm-hmm. She can fit right in and harass this coyote and either uh, dispatch it in the ground or, or give it a really hard time. And, uh, make the dog uh, uh excuse me the coyote bolt right uh to, to the to the bigger dogs that's awesome uh well okay so that's kind of you know that's the, the operation and now uh how how many generations in are you with them now you think oh uh, i'm about uh maybe i've been breeding for about 10 years now since i got out out here out west right. um recently um uh, i had a litter of uh probably the listeners have probably never even heard of this type of dog but it was a donovan pincher oh yeah that yeah. <laughs> um uh donovan pincher bred to mickey and uh well here um, break down the donovans real quick just so they didn't understand what that is i'm familiar okay. with them i caught them for years in my bite work days yeah. you know but they're a lot of yeah. fun, but go ahead and break those down real quick. All right. They were developed out on the East Coast as a police, law enforcement, military, uh, personal protection type dog bred by, uh, uh, created by a dog guy named Dominic Donovan. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he won uh, 
produce an American, what he called an American super dog. And they're basically uh, patrol protection detection type dogs. Mm-hmm. And I've dealt, I've dealt with them for 25 years. I, I ran a commercial back East. I had a commercial guard dog business uh, that I had over 200 dogs. So I dealt with them intensively out there mm-hmm. in live bite situations. And I was very uh, familiar with them. And then uh, when I moved West where I am now, I became a bail bondsman and mm-hmm. uh, I decided I needed one, uh, you know, to come to work with me and deal with uh, people that, you know, sometimes got out of line. <laughs> oh, yeah. Without and, uh, a doubt. Yeah. I, so, I love uh, sharing this. I love sharing this story. Um, I, I, I decoyed for PSA for many, many years, um, Protection Sport Association. And there's a there's a handful right. of uh, Donovan's bouncing around in there. Dominic is actually, you know, I've seen him at trials way back when, you know. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's been involved in. Yeah, he's been involved in Protection Sport Association. You know, I've been on the trial field while he was in the audience, kind of thing. You know, with some of his dogs on the field, and and then years after he wasn't around anymore. But they, uh, uh, there's one dog in particular, and then he he had a type he worked for that I was familiar with earlier on, and then it's kind of like all you know crosses that you know they kind of even out eventually, and you get a type, you know. Um, but this type mm-hmm. almost looked a little more bullyish, you know, had a little more, you know, pit or bulldog or pressa in it than herder. Right. You know, and the, both, exactly. All of it was in there yes. in his combination. But some of the yes. earlier stuff, specifically this line, this part of the line, um, and uh, was a, a massive dog, you know, um, like a 70 pound, you know, uh, long legged you know, elongated snout bulldog kind of, kind of dog. And the dog's name was Rowdy. And it was at a PSA trial. Um, and my first interaction with Rowdy <coughs> was when uh, it was actually at a, at a, a decoy seminar where we were teaching young handlers, new handlers, not necessarily young, but new handlers, how to catch a dog, how to do this and how to do that. And, and I was showing in the carjack scenario, because in PSA, you actually have like a hidden sleeve on. And mm-hmm. if you if you present the hidden sleeve and the hidden sleeve isn't like a large jute that people are familiar with, it's something that you can put on underneath a hoodie. And if you knew exactly what you're looking for, you'd notice it. But if I didn't tell you, you probably wouldn't know if I would just walk up and shook your hand, you know. Um, but if you present your sleeve to be bitten in the hidden sleeve with your let's just think you got your forearm out, out in front of you with your thumb pointed at the sky and your pinky pointed at the ground, your bones are stacked. Your, I think it's a radius and ulna. Your two bones in your forearm are stacked one above the other when they bite, yep. and they could actually yes. compress those two bones. And then if you you do it the right way, your pinky's away and your thumb's pointed to you, and then your two bones there are side by side. So I was, you know, big hot shot Chad was there talking to a bunch of young handlers with the dog barking at me through the car window, and the handler had a hold of him. And I'm talking, I'm like, you darn sure don't want to ever turn your hand like this, you know, with your thumb up in the air. You always want to have it to the side like this. And then I was like, if you put it with your thumb in the air, they'll grab a hold of your forearm. And this dog reached out and snatched me up when I was not ready for him. Um, I think he might have pulled the leash a little hard or whatever. But he got a hold of me and proceeded to crunch my bones together. He didn't break it, 
But for about two months afterwards, I couldn't pick up a gallon of milk with that arm. It hurt so bad. The bones hurt so bad just from the pressure of like a gallon of milk. And that was through the hidden sleeve. You know, so I was actually oh, yeah. telling these people what would go wrong if the dog bit you. Not all dogs do that. <laughs> Most dogs don't even have yeah. that kind of bite pressure, but it's still something you prepare for. I swear if he had just been a little more upset with me, he probably would have broke my arm through the sleeve. And I've never forgotten that. I've never felt that type of bite pressure. Yeah, in my, yeah. I've never been bit by some of the monster-headed dogs either, but that was just – that was unreal, yeah. you know. And I'll never forget that. That's That's one of the dogs that I've – you know, one of the, I don't know, if, if I were to get locked in a, or trapped in a, in a dark alley, I think Rowdy <laughs> would be at the, at the top of my list of dogs that I would, you know, would never want to let that happen by, you know, there's plenty of vicious Malinois that, I don't know, I might not be able to whoop them, but I have a plan. If, if Rowdy yeah. was coming at me down a dark alley, I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably just lay over and try yeah. and play dead and just hope for the best. You know, like it's yeah. that's something yeah. that's something fierce. So anyway, I, I just had to throw that in there with the Donovan yeah. talk. You know, we so, could do uh, I could I, we could do a whole nother podcast with all the the live bites I had back in New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people I, breaking into places and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, anyway, it's not about Donovan. Yeah, so, you got you got the Donovan blood in, and and what did you you know? What well, what were you I, doing with it? Did I lose you? I I had this I had this dog Freddy. No, I'm here. Can you hear okay. me? Okay. Yep, I can hear you. Yeah. Hello? So you had you had the Donovan dog. Okay. So I uh, was I was looking for I was looking for a dog that. I didn't have time to train that came trained and that, so I was given the opportunity to get this dog, Freddie and Freddie, Freddie was a monster. He was, uh, he was like almost Chad, like you said, the perfect blend of the new, the new and the old type Mm -hmm. Donovans. Uh, He was a powerhouse yet. He was very fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, his nickname was fast Freddie. Oh boy. And, um, (laughs) um, he was trialed, but he also was a real dog. Like he would bite you on the street. Mm. So I, I got him in and it took me about a month to break him down to where I could put my hands on him. And I got him and his drive, you know, I had been out of those dogs for, you know, a couple of years and it really refreshed my memory of their drive. And, and so one time I walked out onto my dog yard and I looked at Mickey, my golden goose there who was my foundation this jag turned out to be the foundation dog for these truck terriers and we had breedings planned and she turned up pregnant and i was very upset very upset to waste Mm -hmm. a breeding like that and so i was like what dog could have possibly bred her i just i I mean you know I, i just couldn't figure it out so day comes she has the puppies i look down at adam and they're all i mean there was no doubt that it was freddie and i and i said oh they're freddie pups and there was just something about them that at that day they just really were um just i don't know they're very lively for young you know day old pups and and everything so i docked mm-hmm. the tails on them and uh 
you know, because all my all my truck terriers, I you know, I docked the tails and uh uh I said, Well, give them a shot, I'll see what happens. And by five or six weeks old, I knew that I was on to a whole nother level of truck terror. And um, I mean, these dogs were, you know, uh by the time they were eight weeks old, they were, I mean, just off the chart with drive and you know mouth and everything you wanted the only thing you know my the big guess was was would they transfer that onto fur you know Mm -hmm. hunting and mickey had a ton of hunting or mickey could trail you know a mouse fart in the wind you know um she had a nose on her and and um um so uh you know fingers crossed and uh, again, I've been lucky this way. I was very fortunate to put these puppies in uh, capable hands. And I put some puppies in some capable hands. And they, uh, one of them being Seth Simpson. Um, oh, yeah. And this, and this decoy, uh, this decoy dog stuff was really starting to blow up. And Seth was uh, really out there hitting it hard. And I put some other pups in some professional hunters, uh, you know, big game hunters hands and the dogs just, uh, you know, really, really took off. And, uh, I mean, there's one up in Northern Idaho now that could, you know, the guy was offered some huge money for him, uh, on the mountain by a wealthy client because the dog just, you know, this little mutt could trail a bear and put him up a tree by himself and uh you know nice bear and uh, he was really really impressed you know a 10 10 hour old track you know off off the trail camera and uh you know he you know if he's not careful he's you know gonna probably end up getting really hurt or killed by a bear so he mm-hmm. wants to retire him and uh so but you know the other dogs uh you know i have one with a a government trapper that you know just has nothing but good things to say and then of course Seth Simpson some other people and uh one's down in Texas uh with a hog hunter down there and um they're just really 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 uh nice dogs not too bad to live with and uh again they saw so um, my, my next step is uh Seth has taken these dogs and crossed them on to some of his old decoy blood and I'm about to take some uh, and breed them into the old champ line that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And, uh, and take it from there. Man, that's a, that's, that's super interesting. They, um, let's see. So, so, so how many dogs did you get out of the Donovan out of crossing, you know, out of that Donovan cross? And that, that was like, I think there was, I'd have to look at my books, but I think there were six or seven of them that, that, uh, you know, that made dogs. I mean, I mean all of them worked to some degree. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, and, the, and then, uh, there's another guy named Scott Hampton, I think in, in Oklahoma that also decoys with one of them that, you know, he's had good luck that he got the dog from, uh, you know, from me, but through Seth and, uh, and I've made uh, two other crosses with Donovan's now. 
Um, okay. I, uh, I happened to, was lucky enough to get a Jag Terrier from you. Oh. <laughs> uh, old Bronson there. And yeah. I crossed Bronson onto a female, uh, female Donovan that, uh, as far as, uh, uh, you know, a bite dog, you know, like a, a human, you know, human, you know, for bite work or, yeah. you know, human, you know, protection dog. She's not, she's, I think she would fail miserably. Um, <laughs> but, but she happened to grow up loose on my ranch. Mm-hmm. And she just displayed intense hunting, uh, you know, uh, you know, she just wanted to hunt all the time, all the time, mm-hmm. constantly hunting, constantly using her nose. And um, I bred her to Bronson and those pups are, I think, six months old now. And I, I think everyone in the litter has started. Everyone has started. In fact, I just got a video uh, of uh, somebody decoying last night, and uh, that dog, uh, you know, every single one is, has, you know, shown nothing but positive signs. How far they'll go, time will tell. Yeah. But at six months old, I couldn't be more happy than, you know, than the whole litter. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's kind of exciting to see, the, you know, the different stages and how it's kind of morphed um, <laughs> through – you know, trial and error and accident. And here we are. And it just, it keeps progressing. What, like, what's your goal? What, what's your thoughts for the future of them? Do you have a, um, a, a type and form or you're probably, you, are you letting form follow function specifically, or do you have something in mind? I'm more, I'm, I'm more of a form follow function guy, uh, gotcha. type of guy. Uh, you know, um, I, somebody told me some sometime like, you know, you should, if you own a hunting dog, it should, uh, what did he say? If you own a hunting dog, it should be able to feed you and your family, uh, because it's life depends on it or, you know, something along those lines. And, and I try to, I try to, you know, you know, we all feed commercial dog food for the most part or do Mm -hmm. this or do that. And, you know, we have a grocery store down the street, but, you know, I try to really put myself back in, you know, the early 1800s and, you know, imagine myself there and, and imagine myself with this dog, would this dog, you know, take care of me? Would it, uh, you know, feed my family? Would it protect my cabin? Would it do this? Would it do that? And I, I try to really evaluate from that kind of standpoint, you know, um, you know, dogs, of course, you know, everybody likes a very hard dog, but again, for people, who make a living with dogs or their life depend, you know, their well being depends on it. They don't last long, you know, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and stuff, you know? Uh, and so I don't know, it's, it's, I, I'm really a form follows function type guy, but my, the, where I want to end up Chad is I would like to, I'd like to have a multi-purpose terrier, you know, anywhere from 30 to 45 pounds uh, okay. that could, that could, uh, you could take it out and tree a bear or a lion. You could decoy coyotes with it. Uh, you could, uh, you know, pull a coon out from underneath, you know, a rock pile if you wanted to. You could do, the, you know, you know, it, it would maybe bark at somebody who pulled up, you know, down your driveway in the middle yeah. of the night. You know, just just basically a multi-purpose type, multi-purpose type dog. I had a guy 
come up to me one time and tell me that he goes, those dogs you're breeding are very much like the old cur dogs we used to have when I was a kid, you know, and this guy was about 70 years old, you know, and he remembered having cur dogs that were very much like the dogs that I'm, I'm breeding today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We had yeah. Bruce Swanson on, you know, talking about you know, on our moving critters episode and we were just yeah. talking about all the things he's done and he had high praise for his truck terrier that he got from. Yeah, him. he has one. He's treat, he's caught hogs with his on the Arizona strip and treat bears and lions and everything with his. Yeah. 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 And he says it's a pretty good watchdog, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll bark and, and raise, raise heck, you know, if, uh, if the situation calls for it, you know, and, you know, so <clears throat> he's sure happy with it. <clears throat> um, yeah. Um, so, and, and, uh, so what was your reasoning behind, you know, are you, you said earlier that you didn't want them much more than 35 so that they were, you know, durable enough. They had enough uh-huh. body bone mass to, to deal with a coyote that wanted to get a hold of it for a second. Um, uh-huh. and, but you said you peaked out there at about 45. Is there a reason you didn't want to go much heavier than that? Um, you start getting into, uh, Dogs that are, you know, most terriers, I mean, really, like, you know, if you classify it, I know Airedales are classified as a terrier, but they're not, I mean, you know, it's probably going to upset people. They're not really, they're not really terriers to me. You know what I mean? They're Mm -hmm. something else. Um, You don't see many terriers that are over, you know, 45 pounds that, you know, I, I mean, that, you know, game dogs are anywhere from. 30, you know, you know, low thirties to the 40 pound dogs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Patterdales, you know, are really, you know, much smaller than that. And so all the type of dogs that I'm using, except for the Donovans, um, uh, are, are around that size. And I think if you go over 40 pounds, first of all, it, it definitely is going to have a harder time following a coyote to ground somewhere. Yep. You know, I agree with that. And then, but, uh, you know, and if you go lower than 30 pounds, then, you know, how do you expect it to keep up with a, uh, hard running bear or, uh, uh, you know, something, you know, or keep up on, you know, horseback or anything like that, you know, real deep um, snow, powdery yeah, deep, deep snow, snow kind of in the way. Yeah. Yep. Big problem. Right. Exactly. And I've even so, heard that sometimes with the decoy guys, you know, that if the dog's a little bit too big, the the coyotes don't – and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that the, the coyotes really don't want much to do with a dog that no. weighs them by too much. You know, it's kind of hard well, to decoy them in with that. I, I don't really consider myself a decoy, a uh, uh, coyote decoyer, but right. I do I – do, furnish dogs to a lot of uh in fact the majority of my dogs go to a lot of uh decoy guys now mm-hmm. and, so they're going to tell and, you what they like you know oh they they tell me straight out that you know this you know dogs you know big dogs will just i i i, I do study the coyote intensely that is what i'm out here doing right and, and thinking about 24 7 so you know coyote um not going to really withstand a lot of pressure, you know, from two 50 pound dogs, you know, mm-hmm. running them down, you know? 
Yeah, um, they're just gonna take off and go to the next. Yeah, or, you know, or, they're, they're gonna yeah. push them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 some guys that have some really aggressive coyotes. So they'll come in on a German Shepherd, and you know, the, or right. you know, anything. But you know, uh, uh, they don't. Um, but and generally, the minute they start getting schooled or getting pressured, uh, you know, uh, coyotes don't forget, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll uh, they learn from a situation. So if you blow a stand and you teach them, you're it's gonna, next time it's going to be even harder to okay. uh, get them to come in. Okay, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well that all makes sense um uh onward and upward you got a few different you know a few different avenues you're going for with the with the uh uh with your truck terriers and um right. um and you know this the, the future's wide open it sounds like you got a bunch of plans the, the project is going full force ahead uh i guess uh just just for just for the listeners that might be interested in this in this type of dog like what what you know what? What type of situation? What hunting home would they fit into? And then maybe you know uh, what? What type of environment do you think they might not do so well in? Do you, Do you think do they have a classification? I know it's a uh, like a, a what some people would call a very versatile dog. You know, a dog that's yeah. supposed to be able to get into a little bit yeah. of everything. You know, so so I guess tell us that. Like what what you know? Well, I I you know there's there's you know different degrees of dog people you know yeah. dog men dog women and you know i've seen them uh bring dogs inside the house mm. and uh you know i mean you know it's like the kiss of death they do they do function well inside a house you know especially if if you know how to put a handle on a dog and you crate train it and teach it this you know teach it you know its boundaries it makes they make great pets inside the house i have several that you know, will come running inside the house and jump up on the couch and go to sleep, you know, and stay there all night and not touch a thing or, you know, whatever I have. But then, you know, there's other guys that, you know, they're not going to have dogs inside the house and they put them, you know, out in a kennel situation or a chain situation and they do fine out there. Um, but the thing they're not going to do well in is if they're not used, like any working dog, if they're, mm-hmm. if they're not, you know, getting their lungs and legs stretched and their brains activated. And, you know, you, you know, you treat them. A lot of these staghound guys uh, who raise these sighthounds, they raise them like veal, you know, they keep them in a long run. They barely know their names and it's, you know, they barely get them to load up into the truck. And (laughs) I see a lot of guys, I see a lot of guys collecting terriers like that now, you know, that they just got a bunch of terriers that running around and, it's just a bad recipe for a disaster. You know, they're going to start getting hard on livestock and hard on other dogs and, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, start causing a problem. Just like, you know, you're very familiar with the Jag Terrier, Chad, you know, oh, yeah. with, uh, left left to uh, uh, just sitting in a kennel. It's going to get in, it's going to start causing problems, you know, you know boredom, barking, fence fighting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bucket chewing, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna do something. Bronson, yeah. Old old Bronson, um, you know, he gets out and he's literally, you know, walked on foot seven eight miles a couple times a week, mm-hmm. and he that keeps him uh, 
barely manageable, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, right. Uh, otherwise, he's going to get the e-collar and uh, and uh, some stiff words for me because he likes to bark. Yep. But, again, um, you know, he's, uh, he's there to, uh, you know, I should have him on some coyotes in the next week coming up and really find out uh, – you know, I'm going to check his oil pretty soon. Right. So he's re- he's ready to he's ready to go. Well, we look forward to hearing about that. You know that that yeah. should be good. Uh, yeah. Well, well, well. Okay. So and then uh, so give us a rundown. You know, on what kind of game folks would work with him. You know, like these these dogs. Um, uh, obviously, you know, flushing flushing coyotes from tight yeah. spots, culvert work. You know, yeah. like the, the hounds bay up a coon under the floorboards. It might not be able to get, you know, like all your tiny Jack Russells or Yags or anything. But it, yeah. if it could stick its head in there, it's going to draw it for you. Um, uh, what else? Um, basically, ranch and farm, you know, uh, pest control. Mm-hmm. Uh, keeping stuff uh, keeping stuff off the livestock. Uh, you know, people use them for that. Uh, um, again, I've had people... People use them for bear hunting. Uh, people use them for lion hunting. People use them for, uh, you know, um, catching coons at night, uh, coon hunting. Are they coon dogs? No. Are they bear dogs? No. But it's like they can do a lot of stuff from the dogs that I've seen and had tested and, and that I've bred. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're not going to outperform a you know, a top-notch coon dog at night on a tree or anything like that. But if you're looking for a dog that, you know, uh, you want to decoy coyotes with, uh, you want to uh, uh, go out with your buddies, uh, you know, looking for coons at night, um, you know, uh, if you have a buddy who's a bear hunter and you want to throw your dog in with him, these are the type of dogs that, uh, you know, that I'm, that I'm breeding. Mm-hmm. And then it's funny. Uh, the, the, the people, I see a lot of people breeding them now are breeding, you know, they don't call them truck terriers. They call them, you know, I don't know what they call them, but they're basically, it's the same formula. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of litters being bred now by guys decoying and, you know, basically breeding decoy dogs, you know? Right. Yeah. And trying to find, you know, you know, 35 to 45 pound dog with a good handle um, that's kind of rough and ready. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, got some grit to him and a nice a nice nose and uh, not bad to look at. And something that can kind of toss in the seat next year and the console in between you and your yep. partner, you know, your buddy or whatever, you know. And well, there you go, you know, and, and just just pretty much game for a little bit of everything. So that that sounds neat, man. That sounds like a plan. Um, uh, uh, well, I mean, is there is there anything else on those that uh, you you wanted to share with us? It sounds exciting. I really, I, I, you know, um, I've, uh, I've seen them hunted. I've heard of, but you know, some friends hunting them, and and everybody, I'm, everybody I'm just, put hands I'm, on them. Yeah, I'm looking forward, uh, of course, to the future to see what. Um, uh, there's there's a core group of us now that are breeding them and and uh you know have similar blooded dogs mm-hmm. and that you know come from the similar similar lines and as 
they get more popular, uh, I hope that they fall into the right hands, you know, people that use them and, uh, and we get more feedback uh, about like what's being produced and uh, how good they're doing and, 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 and stuff like that. Uh, uh, so I'm looking forward to the future and, and to see what people like, uh, you know, Seth Simpsons and there's a couple guys out in South Dakota and, and, uh, you know, guys down in Utah, Nevada that are breeding them and using them and, and, uh, uh, really, uh, see what, what they can do. And maybe somebody can, t- you know, I'm getting a little weary of breeding, breeding puppies and, uh, cause it's not a money thing at all. You yeah. know, it's, it's a great expense, but the, the joy of putting a, a nice puppy in somebody's hands and, uh, see it, you know, sometimes even despite them, uh, succeed and become, really nice dogs is it is i don't know there's not a really a, a price you can put on that i, I agree. really enjoy, i really <laughs> enjoy ex- that it's extremely satisfying i know exactly what you're talking about yeah Chad, that was that was awesome dude and and guys again it sounded like it kind of just cut away while they were chatting it's because it keeps going it's on the patreon page go check it out but yeah, there's, yeah chad there's, thanks there's some cool stuff too that like Let's see the, the 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 his specials, which are like foxhounds, sighthound crosses, right? And uh, the, the staghounds, and then the the den terriers is really cool too. The little like eight pound, tiny, tiny little earth dogs. You know they aren't gonna. Yes, and I'm not a badger dog by any measure, but like none of mine can get into <laughs> a gopher hole. You know, like, I probably think they are. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but those are really cool. You know that I. Yeah, there's there's a lot more to it, you know, but specifically the truck terriers. The truck terriers sound really cool, but I was really intrigued by the den terriers because I would like to see little midge midge guys working. You know what I mean? Like that's tiny, so cool. Tiny. I mean, it feels like you're picking up a can of Pringles, you know, like to to, to handle them right. They're like that small. They're small, small, so, so small. And this is a hunting dog. Yeah, it is. Watch it right down the hole, you know, and they just disappear. So they're they're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. I really enjoyed it, man. I I. uh <clears throat> I, I learned what spanning is from Nate Valley. And he kind of told me about what the ideal size for a Jack Russell's, you know, rib cage to be to get down in there and still have room to breathe. But mm. those den terriers are like half the size of that. Yeah. I mean, like they're so tiny. Yeah. You and, can span them pretty easy. Anyway, the den terrier talk is on the Patreon page, you guys. And so, uh, and I, the truck terriers, what a versatile little animal. <clears throat> and I've heard about them quite a bit from social media. So they're already have, they're already kind of moving around, and uh, they people love them. So uh, terriers. If I had more desire to do something else than chase hares, I think I would love to get into ferrets and terriers, dude. How fun would that be? That'd be like, cool. That'd be cool. It's it's weird like, that certain states like don't allow you to release the ferrets though, depending on where you are. I think uh, I, I don't want to misspeak, but I know there are some states where like you can own. A there ferret. are no. You're right. You, you can't right. let it go to go hunt, you know, like they do over in well, New Mexico has like five laws. So right. we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. None of them. Involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, well, I want to wrap this segment up, brother. We're, we've been uh, we've been going good. And, and you guys all mixed up as a labor of love for me and Chad. I, I have a great time producing this show. And our challenge actually is keeping it short. 
you know, it's a long show, but it's easy to go a long time. This show could have been four hours if we used all our material. So that's a great thing for the Patreon page. And also you guys, uh, we just love talking to you guys and seeing everybody and, and uh, producing this content. So I'm going to wrap this up quickly. Chad, tell me your dream hunt with dogs. If you had unlimited resources and you could just wave a magic wand and be there and in the group as if you were one of the boys for 20 years, what do you want to do right now? Oh, gosh. Oh, it's really hard because I've traveled around a little bit and done a bunch of different things. And I don't even need to go through them, but I, I don't know. Probably do something. I just put you on the spot hard. Oh, big time, big time, man. <laughs> but like, so probably do some of the things we do now just in a different environment. And one of my favorite things to do is evaluate my dog's strengths and weaknesses. You know, they aren't perfect. I, I'm proud of my dogs, as, as proud as a guy can be, but they have strengths and weaknesses. Some of their strengths here would give them weaknesses somewhere else. So I would, I don't know, I'd probably like to. I don't do the same thing, like pack up my dogs and take them up to the, you know, like where you did with the British Columbia and, and the run of links or take them to the East coast and, and run one of their bear over there. Or, or uh, I don't know, to, to get off that topic a little bit, maybe run the, I love hunting from horseback. Absolutely love it. I've done it for the hogs you know, when I was younger and everything, and I'm just starting to get back into it now. But I've always wanted to do, you know, that fox thing, you know, where you're chasing the actual. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, like, because it's cool to actually run. That would be you always awesome. get to watch them out there. But in hog hunting, a lot of times it happens way off in the bushes and it's really hard to keep up. But there are times when, you know, somebody will strike way down the road and all your dogs jump out of the out of the bushes and get on like a, a dirt track and then run down the road to get a little closer. And, uh, during that oh, i get hold up brother uh, hold up hold up uh i think i just dropped out a little bit so um did you see me drop i did but you're it's still in it says huh. yeah okay cool well in that case um go ahead yeah. <laughs> so they come they jump out of the bushes and then run down the two track and while you're on horseback you can run with them for a little while so i've only got like fleeting glimpses you know of like that adrenaline rush of you know you're right on the horse and you're pumping you're going and then there's a there's a dog to your left that's you know full cry and then a dog to your right that's screaming and one in front you're in him you're with them you know and i don't know i've like i said i've only gotten you know fleeting little pieces of it but i've never i've never actually got to prolong the chase for a while and, and i don't know hmm. i might be able to geek out with that i might you know so that or some other type of earth game. I haven't ever done the, wow, how I'm going to mangle this. Yeah, Kawadi, Katama, like you got them yeah, down but there. I don't, are they an earth game? The, well, they're in the trees, but it's considered terrier game, I imagine. I've treated a Kawadi before. Have you? I have. I mm -hmm. have not. I've never even seen one. I treat it. Is no that, dog required. You, <laughs> was it a chop park or like, do you have a. <laughs> I just bum rushed him yelling like some kind of meth head and just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was know. in the middle of the Gila wilderness, actually. Really? And uh, apparently sometimes males will go north from, they'll follow those riparian corridors north. And uh, we were hunting and I looked up the creek and I was like, whoa, that's a kawadi. And I just ran at it at like full speed, like yelling and waving my arms. And that sucker treed up an aspen tree. And I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a good uh, phone camera. I had like a one megapixel crappy phone. 
mm-hmm. and I uh, couldn't get a good picture of it. It was just like a little red pixelated blur. Yeah. But, yep. I treed one. So they're cool critters in like my state. I don't have them. So I, but I do know they have them south. And so I don't even know if you can tree them legally. And if that's the case, then of course I'll come off of them. But I just know they're down there and they're like badger. I love the hunt badger. I absolutely love that. So they're tough, they're just, dude. They're like a different they're flavor. Tough. Oh yeah. You know, but you gotta, yeah. you gotta, you gotta catch them all. Right. You know, I, I, <laughs> I get, so that's, that's, you know, I guess I can't put it down to so one. So you have multiple you know? things. Oh, I got, I got a bunch. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do, man. I, you know, like I can't push the earth dogs out or the terriers and, I know what I want to yeah. do. Whitehounds, I you know, so I could give you one for each. But if I had to just wrap it up real quick, those those are what I dream about. I daydream about now. Yeah, I think um, you're right. It's impossible to pin it down to one thing. But I'm gonna be straight up. I think I talked to Scott Allen. You guys remember Scott Allen's talk? He's on the Patreon page, and also uh, I aired him on how to take better pictures of our hounds hunting. And he talked about Spain in the Patreon page. You guys. I'm not joking. My mind was running wild in Spain while he was talking. I was like, I was there with him. I can't stop thinking about that. If you guys, man, that was, mm, that was probably one of the best tailgate talks, man. I just, as a guest, I was a guest on that show. I felt like Scott, he's such a natural (laughs) behind the mic. He just took it away and he took us to Spain and the way they hunt there, you guys, holy smokes. That is crazy. It's uh it's it's crazy to imagine that. So we're got weird technical issues, you guys. So we're gonna roll. But hey, thanks you guys for tuning in to All Mixed Up this month. Uh, we really appreciate it, Chad. Thank you for joining me, brother. You've been a great addition to the team, and I'm super glad you're here, man. So uh, thank you guys, and we'll be seeing you next month. Yep. You follow yep. your hounds, I'll follow mine. Chad, that's not true. How oh. are we finishing up our episode? I oh. had it written down. <laughs> Hunt them hard. And treat them like heroes. Boom. That's how we finish it. Chris, your intro, your outro is lame compared to ours. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. We appreciate every one of you. And uh, we'll see you next month. And we'll see you uh, next week on the Patreon page. Talk to everyone later. See ya.